service you are attempting to use has been restricted or is unavailable. Oh, really? Please contact customer care no. for assistance. Yeah, Message N C two zero zero sixty five. What? It's time for Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy. I'm Cowboy Andy, a children's musician who has this podcast talking to other children's musicians about the business of being a children's musician. <laughs> okay, so uh, this week it's really super exciting. Picture, if you will, oh my gosh, I could get on my I could get on my movie voice, couldn't I? In a world where you are a children's musician. That's close. Not totally there. I'll try it one more time. In a world where you're a children's musician. No, I'm gonna skip that. Let's try something else. Here's the thing. Think about this for a second. Did you ever see the movie, The Muppet Movie? Of course you saw The Muppet Movie. That's why we're children's musicians, right? Uh-huh. Okay, so Muppet Movie. Towards the end, Cloris Leachman with that awesome, awesome hairdo. God, if I had her. Anyway, uh, bars the Muppets from getting in. But then they get in. Oh, how cool. Yes, they make it in. And they go in there and they're behind the desk. Is, you remember who's behind the desk? I remember who's behind the desk. It was <gasps> Orson Welles. Orson Welles sitting behind the desk smoking an incredibly large cigar. And I wonder if those were his Oscars behind him. Probably. Anyway, Kermit and the gang, they go in and they they give their pitch. Bah! And there it is. And he looks at them smoldering. You know, he's selling no wine before it's time. Orson Welles, Lord, you know that thing. And then he uh, hits the button and calls in Cloris Leachman and says, bring in the rich and famous contract. And, ah! They, they sign the contract. Now, okay, so picture, if you will, you are the person walking into that office, but it's not Orson Welles smoking a stogie behind the desk. No, instead, it's Jim Henson. And Jim Henson says, hey, you want to sign a contract? I don't think that's a Jim Henson voice. Oh my gosh, I'm going to do it. Here we go. Uh, and it's Jim Henson. And Jim Henson says, hmm. Hey, you want to sign a contract? I guess that's some, That's kind of a Frank Oz. Anyway, okay, that would just be the thing, wouldn't it? That would totally be the thing. And what if that happened in real life? And oh my God, it happened in real life. It happened in real life to the person that we're going to talk to today. It is super fun to bring to the barn banter a recording professional, a incredible humanitarian, a super nice guy, crazy generous, and a pro in the business of writing on assignment. Uh, so cool. Writing on assignment. You get a gig, a contract with somebody like, I don't know, DreamWorks or Disney, and they send you over a note and say, hey, we need you to write this song. And you're like, great. And they say, we need it Friday. And you say, great. And that's your job. That would be really cool. So you want to hear how to do that and some really good advice. You have to stick around to the end. And the payoff is, for me, you get to go and like the barn banter and you get to send me notes and tell me how you think I can improve the podcast. And yes, I know I get technical difficulties because I live up here literally in the mountains of Montana and we get the internet through a tiny tube. It's delivered by carrier pigeons. So yeah, sometimes you can hear mowers in the background or it's kind of scratchy or the levels are weird. I'm working on it. Okay. It's a work in progress, but all the same, the message is pretty cool this week. Dave Canoyne. 
How are you, David? Good. How are you, Andy? I'm doing just fine. And as I kind of hinted, you have a very impressive resume. So if you wouldn't mind, give us like the three-minute synopsis of where you have been and what you've done. Well, I've had the good fortune of writing a lot of songs, dozens and dozens and dozens of songs for Disney and the Muppets and Sesame Workshop and DreamWorks Animation and different TV shows by Disney and Henson mostly. And I've been able to work with directors and producers and executives and musical directors uh, in writing songs that drive sales of their product, that uh, deliver the story points they need or the educational points they need. And I've been able to do it cheerfully with uh, a good ability to do rewrites, sometimes on the spot when we're actually at the session. And I understand that it's not my money that's on the line, it's theirs, that I have to honor their uh, uh, ideas. Uh, if I disagree, I have to be diplomatic in suggesting alternatives. And um, throughout it all, I've been having a lot of fun, meeting a lot of wonderful people, uh, getting product out to millions of children, and apparently some of them liked it. And, you know, I'm a lucky guy. Uh, I, I sit on my sofa a lot with my cats and dogs and come up with songs for these products and shows and whatnot and do a demo and get, I get feedback and then I make adjust, adjustments and then I get more feedback and then I make adjustments and then they say, no, we want a complete rewrite, which I do quickly. <laughs> and somehow I managed to get it all turned in before the deadline and I like it. That's it. <laughs> Holy cow. Oh, okay. So again, that's it. You know, you just swam the English Channel. Really no big deal. It's just some water. You jump in, you start paddling, and then you're there. It's all good, you know. Okay, but okay, just to uh, unclench my brain a little bit, because you hit some hot spots there that were just, well, first off, the concept of writing on assignment is kind of foreign to me. I mean, it's something that I've, I I think would be a I think would be a cool thing to do. I get this idea of songwriters in Tennessee sitting in cubicles just trying to, you know, scribing out, so, you know, hit after hit after hit, hoping that one of them is accepted and picked up and turned into a thing. But it's it's not like that, is it? I'm not averse to cubicles. I don't really <laughs> care where I am, uh, whether I'm on vacation with my wife and she thinks I shouldn't be at the hotel's piano working when we're supposed to be on vacation. What she knows, but sometimes forgets, is I'm always working. I can't stop it. It's a faucet that's always on. I never wait for inspiration. There's so much of it around me, I hardly know which way to turn or, you know, which one to use. My gut is the one that tells me in the end what's the best. And it's an indefinable urge that I have to follow a certain path, although many paths could, could work out. Mm -hmm. I remember writing a uh, kind of a pop rock song about a drink of water for a, a Sesame English, which was a Disney TV show. And I wrote this song. It was pretty darn good. My uh, co-producer liked it, and we demoed it, and we're about to turn it in. But then when I woke up on the day it was due, I realized that I had a better idea that went something like this. I want a drink of water, bum, because I'm very thirsty, dumb. I have been eating food, and now I'm in the mood for a drink of water. Bottom. It had nothing to do with that pop rock excursion I was going to turn in, <laughs> which I would have gotten paid for. But it was a better song. Uh -huh. It was a better song. It was kind of a 
South American uh, thing, which was water I wasn't used to, but I figured my co-producer could handle it, and he did. Uh, and hey, still got it turned in by 5 o'clock. I don't know exactly why I brought that up, except I love getting an assignment. And there's huge freedom within boundaries. You don't have to go at it as if to say, as if to think, oh, I'm constrained by the subject matter or the length that has to be or what the demographic is. Constraints mean nothing to me. There's unlimited possibility within constraints or without them. There's, there are so many ideas you can use. So writing on assignment is a special task. You have to please the creators of the program. You have to fill in the blanks with songs in their script that will serve the story points or the educational points and do so with a memorable melody and a, a memorable track and vocal. And It's just fun. It's like doing a crossword puzzle and getting paid for it. I can, well, I can imagine. I mean, I, when I'm working with kids... And uh, like when my kids were little and we'd be sitting around playing and, and they would spontaneously come up with an idea. It was really fun and exciting to just be like, oh, okay, let's take that idea and go. And go yeah. and do something with it. And, I, and maybe it's just me, but I, I have this um, hesitation when, it's, when it seems professional. Like when somebody uh, you know, sends you an email or they give you a call and they say, do this thing. Just on, on the face, it seems in, intimidating. But... And I think that might be something that you get over with time. So where did you start? You were a street musician at some point and then got discovered? Or how did you get into this gig? Actually, I was a street musician. How did you know? <laughs> I, I'm kind of a troll. I do a lot of research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was a street musician. And proud to be. Golly. I, I've always loved children. I've always loved songs. I was briefly a folk rock artist in the early 70s. In 1972, I was at the Music Center in downtown Los Angeles, and I met the volunteer director for the Jeffrey Foundation for Multi-Handicapped Children and was asked if I would please perform at their holiday party. I accepted the gig. It wasn't paid, but, you know, I, I, my dance card wasn't very full with social activities, and I accepted it and met all these children and Oh, man, Andy, we had such fun. We just let our hair down, and some of them were quite severely handicapped, but that didn't stop us. Some of them were autistic, but we found something for them to do where they found it. And I, I met someone who became dear to me throughout my life named Tony Whitfield, but that's another story. He lived at my house. He had cerebral palsy and some learning difficulties, and I just loved, loved, loved him. Unfortunately, I lost him uh, seven years ago. Broke my heart. But to get to the point, uh, I met these kids, and although I was into pop music, and I still am, it was great to be with children and with their insouciance and their uh, unlimited drive and just fun spirits. And um, I started writing a lot of children's songs, which event eventually led me to recording my first children's music album called Funarui. And Jim Henson heard it uh, at the Henson Company, and I uh, wrote and produced the songs for the Muppet sing-along video Billy Bunny's Animal Songs, and... Uh, Disney heard it and started working for them. I was the guy who wrote and sang the songs for the Puppy Spot for Disney and a lot of other things. And it just kind of snowballed into this career I've been enjoying and, and that I'm grateful for. But I'm always aware that it could end. I mean, I'm not going to stop being a good songwriter, but sometimes when you get a little older, you're, you're either perceived of or maybe you really are old. And hey, some of the new people come in and they're really good and have fresh ideas and a fresh sound and 
they deserve the success they get, and I encourage them and sometimes mentor them. How does someone just suddenly have their music heard by Jim Henson? Well, it was luck. Okay. Now, I'd been preparing for this luck for some time. Uh, that is, I'd been making myself available, putting my music out in the world. But it just so happened that I wasn't making a lot of money as a songwriter around 1990. And I took a job as a bat back lock lot worker at the Disney Studios. And Jim Henson had rented a, a soundstage for one of his productions. And one of my um, driver friends gave Jim my Funarui CD. And Jim loved it and called me into his office. And I didn't say, by the way, did you know I'm a, a back lot employee at, for a film company, not a whoop-de-doo songwriter? <laughs> didn't say anything about that. I just, I was there. I was sitting down. He offered me the job. I took it. I accepted the first contract they offered me, which was actually pretty good. And um, I guess you might say it kind of started when I began my record company and had something to really show the world. Or my friend could not have given it to Jim Henson, and I couldn't have caught that piece of good luck. you got to get out there, join every professional organization there is, let people know what you do, keep making those relationships, and doing all kinds of spec work, which means work on speculation, that is, unpaid work in hopes of getting paid work. And just making sure you got a roof over your head and you're taking good care of your children in the meantime. And um, yeah, mm -hmm. sometimes things work out or sometimes they don't. Or take longer than... Or, or take longer. Than you want them and, to. And yeah. there's no shame in changing career course either. I'm good at more than just songwriting. I could have done a lot of different things. There was a lot of grunt work between uh, the fir dream first arriving and uh, um, being able to pay my way with just music. From that meeting with Henson, is that when you, you did the uh, Muppet sing-along, the Billy Bunny's Animal Songs? That is correct. Yeah. And I, In I've fact... Watched that. I've watched that a couple times, and I, oh. get, I like the uh, Don't Bump Into Me, the Porcupine song. <laughs> it's like, there, there's just something specifically, and I think a lot of um, modern children's musicians and, and children's artists really look back at Jim Henson as the, one of the driving forces in saying... You can be creative. You can do kind of adult and kid humor at the same time, make it a little bit more sophisticated and a little bit more engaging. As I say that, I realize what I'm putting together is you. Like, you you were part of that that thing, that change. I mean, if you're the songwriter and you're doing it, and you were, I think you were did some music production on that too. Like, how involved were you in that project? Enormously involved. Uh, I co-produced the tracks, wrote all the songs. And by the way, I did it concurrent with still working my backlot job at Disney, which meant I got very little sleep because I didn't, I wasn't in a financial position to let go of that, even though I was getting well paid. But um, I'd hit a rough spot in my life and I had some expenses and people who depended on me for their sustenance and whatnot. And, you know, I was able, I find that the busier I get, the more I can do. Mm. Sounds queer to say that, but I wrote all the songs for Billy Bunny's Animal Songs in my head, no instrument, and I sang them into a cassette recorder, because that was back in the 19, early 1990s, and I did it concurrent with having to get up and get inside a truck and make deliveries and get a legible signature and, you know, be a blue-collar worker and no, no hint at being a songwriter whatsoever, except for the jockey box had my guitar in it, but, um, yeah. In fact, I almost always write songs in my head. 
I learned how to do it. I learned how to find out where a 440A is, and I have relative pitch, so I can take a little music paper out of my wallet and write them out, and it's fun. It's it's really fun. Oh, cool. And when I was talking, when we were, I was writing about, please don't bump into me. I pictured uh, this porcupine, which sort of is intrinsically dangerous to be around with the quills and all. Sort of not in a sexy way, but kind of in a faux sexy way, cozying up to Billy, admonishing him not to bump into her. It was funny, <laughs> and I decided to put it in a in a jazz uh, motif. Didn't actually know what chords were going to be under my melody, but when I got to a keyboard, I figured it out. But I just started writing, let's have a party, music and dancing, bum, 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 bum. it'll be fun, wait and see, whatever you do, don't get a boo-boo, please don't bump, bump into me. It was fun, Andy. Mm -hmm. I was having fun, <laughs> and I was paying my bills with my other job, and you know, saving up the money I was making as a songwriter so I wouldn't ever have to drive a truck again. And it was great. So how does that work from a business standpoint as far as you got discovered, you were given your chance? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. You said they gave you a contract. You just accepted it. Um, I would be warned today, and I would warn people maybe or, or caution people, you probably get a lawyer to look it over just to make sure, you know. I don't know. That's good advice. Yeah, I don't have one. I'll tell you the truth. I was starstruck when I was in front of Jim, and I just didn't think he'd do anything wrong. I think that's fair. But today, trust me, I have a good attorney. Hmm. She's a Harvard grad. <laughs> she negotiates all my agreements. Sometimes there's not a lot of wiggle room in an agreement. Mm -hmm. It's either my way or the highway from the client's point of view. But yeah, that's sage advice. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that, sir. Did you get an agent at that point? Did you feel you needed representation, or did you feel you were sort of uh, established enough once you got past that the first few years? That Actually, uh, halfway through doing the work with Billy Bunny's Animal Stongs, I acquired the services of, shall I say her name, my attorney? Sure. Rachel Fox in New York. I'm on the West Coast, but nowadays it doesn't matter where your, your lawyer is. And from that day forward, she negotiated all my contracts. Hmm. But did she, I, go, uh, did she go hunting for, for new projects for you? Nope. She's not, she wasn't my agent. She okay. was just my attorney. Right. And did you get an agent then? I've never been able to interest anybody in being my agent. It's, it's a good thing to have. But if you're a go-getter and you join every professional association there is, and you study the trades and you figure out who's making new shows, meet everybody you possibly can, you might not need an agent. Have you lived in Los Angeles the whole time? Yes. So, like up here in Montana, work that would you know work for hire like that is pretty scarce. Whereas in Los Angeles, I'd have to assume that you could you know you could probably meet people who are connected personally, like at coffee shops. I mean, you could just through social engagements, you could run into people who later you can develop a business relationship with. Or is that just LA dreaming and that actually doesn't happen? No, some of that happens, but uh, you're in Missoula, Montana? Yes. I've done some uh, trout fishing up there. It's mighty, mighty beautiful where you live. Oh, yeah. There's a lot to be said for living there. I, I don't always meet the people I work with. When I was a staff writer on the uh, Bear in the Big Blue House TV show, I don't recall meeting anybody. Uh, I don't recall meeting the musical director or any of the other writers or the script writers. You know, I just banged out songs when they came into my 
fax machine back then, did my best and collected my pay and went on to the next one. So how does that look? You're sitting around, it's Tuesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and the fax machine goes off. And what, what would they give you as far as the assignment? Oh, they'd, they'd give me uh, a script, hmm. and it would have a, a, a place where a song belonged in the story. And I would simply, simply look at the context of that song and write a song. It had to be a certain length. And Bear in the Big Blue House kind of had a jazzy uh, type of music vibe going. So I'd make it kind of jazzy usually. Like, what's in the mail today? What's in the mail today? You know, when Bear would, when the mailman would come, or the letter carrier, I should say. Or when Twitter was talking about when I'm older. You know, I usually gave it kind of a, a jazzy uh, treatment. Because it's just kind of the way the show was, and I was sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get along with everybody. And I mostly did, till I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> was it very competitive? Is it very competitive, the, this uh, writing on assignment today? Enormously. Enormously. Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of the writers who are vying for the same one spot to be that extra writer they need... Or they're all really, most of them are really good and deserve a spot on the show. I've listened to a lot of songs written by those who sort of didn't make the cut, so to speak, on a show or whatever, and they're darn good songs. And it kind of hurts my feelings that they didn't get the gig. With the assignment process, then, after you get the idea, and it's, I think it's kind of cool because your career has spanned through uh, three or four different phases of technology. And that's not to say that, you know, you're 200 years old or anything. It's just that technology has changed so fast. So that was a little dig there just because, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. I was just about to go, well, oh, for, the record, I, for the record, I'm 69 years old. Oh, okay, cool. So we're peers. So, we are? Oh. <laughs> well, we're both over 30. So, yeah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> In the beginning of your career where there was no... Or home recording was completely different. Yeah. You know, like in the 90s, I know I was using just tape to tape or tape to tape or four tracks, simple cassette four tracks mm -hmm. to uh, to produce. Was that basically where, where you were too? <laughs> were you able to work at home when you were, you know, working with Jim Henson and that, and that crew? Well, I do not excel as a musician. I'm pretty good. I can play piano and keyboard in concert and people think I'm a good player. I'm okay. But for recording, you know, you have to really, really have your chops down. So I've always surrounded myself with excellent uh, musicians and music producers and studio owners. And I've been the one who wrote the songs or co-wrote the songs, had production ideas, and was often at the recording session, but um, working with persons who made my songs sound great. Persons like Jimmy Hammer, John Hoke, Randy Sharp. Craig Garfinkel and others that I've worked with that really steadily delivered really great productions uh, that made my songs just shine. And, and singers. The Muppet singers are really, really talented people besides being puppeteers. Because a recording, the, the most important thing is the song itself. But after that, the lead vocal is second in importance, I'd say. Then after that, I guess the production. So you can have... Uh, a really crummy song and and snazz it up with all kinds of great singers and production but if the song's not there uh, it's kind of just wasting your money mm -hmm. but you can take a really good song and make a really good recording of it and you've got a song that sounds better than you ever could hope for 
which is what I always strove to do and still do. Mm -hmm. But I do that not alone, but with very talented collaborators. I've heard that uh, message a few times, and I've experienced it myself, which is go find people who are better at you at what you need to get done. And yeah. that just lifts the whole project straight up to where you want it to be or puts you in a place you probably could never get by yourself. Right. You, you got you to be careful to, to treat them fairly, too, to pay them well when there's creative um, input to honor that by, with money, not just thanks. Mm -hmm. do, I, was, I was curious, did you ever perform any of the songs that you wrote? Like, did you ever sing or play guitar on any of those or did you yeah. just go in and, and hand it off and say, like, well, here it is. Did you write tabs for it? Or how do you transfer that over to the studio that then they pick it up and like, yep, we're going to take it and go? Well, I was in New York for the Billy Bunny uh, animal song thing. And there was a, a little song on guitar called um, Swim Away Hooray about a turtle. And I actually uh, performed that live with a Martin D28 guitar that they got me while the singer sang it because... We just wanted a real live vibe thing there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I play uh, instruments on my recordings, but more often than not, I don't. Because although I've got piano and guitar chops, um, sometimes to get the part I want takes me a long time. And uh, a man or woman who really is a stellar player can do it much quicker, and I end up paying less money. But it's kind of a thrill to see my name on the credits. Mm -hmm. But the most important, most important thing is the the quality of the production. Oh, by the way, regarding writing on assignment, I forgot something. Hmm. You know, all that really matters in life is the quality of the song, not how long it took to write it. It's a fair thing to say. However, when you write on assignment, there is a deadline. And sometimes if a song is due, hey, you got to turn it in. It might have a couple of mistakes, things you think of later. You go, ah, I should have said that or whatever, but it's too late. But sometimes it's not too late. I've been known to make corrections in songs that were already released and disseminated publicly, make a new recording. I did that on my Crazy With Happiness CD. I took a song I owned called um, For the Love of My Pet, which was, it was sold along with 101 Dalmatians at Walmart. And I owned the song, but I had to finish it real quick and I made a songwriting mistake. But when I decided to put it on my album Crazy With Happiness, I brought back in the singer, whose name is Randy Crenshaw, and I paid him a fairly big amount of money to fix one phrase. Mm. I spent hundreds of dollars to fix one phrase, and so now there are two versions of it in the world that sound very similar, except for the fact that the version on my album does not contain a songwriting mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a mistake that nobody but I would have ever noticed. I'll tell you what it was. Please. I had, I had written... In the first version, and treats to make her tail wag. Now, in ordinary conversation, you don't say treats to make her tail wag. You say treats to make her tail wag. That basically, I lost prosody, which is the artful way the lyrics fit against the melody. But in the version that's on my Crazy with Happiness by Grin Brigade CD, I changed it to, and treats so her tail will wag. <laughs> ah. Very similar phrase, but it's a perfect phrase. Not an imperfect phrase, and I strive for perfection. But when you write on assignment, you know, mm -hmm. if it's 10 minutes to 8 and the song is due at 8 o'clock, sometimes you got to press send for that MP3 to go out, knowing that it wasn't quite right, but it was pretty darn good. 
because you can't be late turning in a song when a client's expecting it. So how do you do it today? Do you do voice memos or uh, record on your computer, use like Pro Tools, or how do you approach the process today? I, I'm, I'm first and foremost, I'm a songwriter. What matters to me is words and music. Production matters, and I sometimes, I use the uh, voice memo feature on my iPhone. Maybe I'll hum a bass line if I think it's really good, but mainly I will put the lyrics in my notes section on my iPhone, and I will sing a cappella, the song, from beginning to end. In places where maybe there were some lyrics missing, I'll just go la-la or whatever. I come up with an idea. It's usually a combination of the music and the lyrics. It's usually a phrase. Often the hook. I'm working with a guy right now named Randy Sharp. Mm -hmm. He and I Skype every Thursday morning at 10.30. One of us might have an idea, or maybe after three hours of talking, something will pop up in conversation that's the germ of an idea. And we'll just run with it. Sometimes we'll, we'll be together via Skype all day. Not all day, but for, say, five hours. And have nothing to show for it. My wife will say, how things go today? I'll say, fine. She said, really, what did you write? And I said, well, didn't really write anything that we kept, but uh, Randy and I ruled a lot of things out. Ruling stuff out is an important aspect of songwriting. Like, don't pursue an idea if it's not a great idea. Why waste your talent, your, your craftsmanship, uh, pursuing an idea that's not really going to be a winner? And you kind of learn what's a winner and what's not. You know, if you get really excited and you can't wait to just tell this story, then that's probably a really good, good idea. If you go into it somewhat reluctantly, trying to figure out how you can kind of save this thing, eh, probably not mm-hmm. going to work out. Knowing when to cut, that's hard to do, especially when you go from, if you get all the way to demo, at least it is for me sometimes, to get it to demo, I kind of fall in love with the demos, and then it just doesn't work when I get to a studio situation, just because the song just doesn't doesn't work uh, outside well, of my head. I can't speak too much about that, but I can say that if you if a song doesn't sound great, song a cappella, it might not be a great song. If it doesn't sound great, song in different musical styles, it might not be a great song. You know, a compelling melody, an infectious beat, a winning lyric, everything's working together like a well-oiled machine, that's going to be a great song. If it evokes an emotional response on the listener, that's going to be a great song. It's got to have it all. And the production is just the icing on the cake. It can often be memorable and important and and it is always important but really the world that i live in is the words and music and i rely heavily on co-producers and other musicians to help me turn that into uh, a winning recording so i looked at your website it said currently you're working with dreamworks uh as a songwriter music producer and also writing on assignment is that is that kind of your gig still currently Actually, that gig ended. I was working, writing lyrics for direct-to-DVD movies for DreamWorks. That gig ended, but it's been replaced by some others. I'm working on a couple of animation projects. I'm producing a fourth Randy and Dave CD with Randy Sharp. We call ourselves Randy and Dave. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm doing the marketing for uh, my latest Grin Brigade project, which was a collection of 29 songs. And I'm not misspeaking. It actually has 29 songs on it. Just won a Napa Award. I was glad to hear that. 
Uh, I do. I represent the Character Counts program, which is a framework of ethics education for children in elementary school uh, nationwide, and I really enjoy that. I believe in civility, kindness, generosity, trustworthiness, in all the components of the Character Counts program, so I proudly represent that. I tell you, sitting on my sofa writing lyrics with my cats is fun. But actually getting out in the world and traveling across the United States and actually meeting children face-to-face is, is it's kind of daunting and challenging and I sometimes don't get as much sleep as I probably should. But I tell you, it's wonderful to hear what kids do, say and do and see what they do. I remember going to one school and the teacher had prepared everybody with my resume and she asked the first kid, can you tell us about something about Mr. Kenoy? And the kid raises his hand, he's old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect time to stop and actually hear a sample of how good of a songwriter this guy is. This is a uh, the first track off of the 2017 release, Life on a Trampoline by Randy and Dave. This is Enjoy It While You Can. Vladimir Flannery, son of Trina and Trish Tannery. Each day we squish a mess of fish into cans here at the cannery. The captain of our crew, a cat named Dogmandu, that we call Mabel, licks each label. She likes the taste of glue. Enjoy it while you can. Enjoy it while you can. Keep on squishing all those fish in according to the plan. As you pack them in the tin, hold on to your grin. We work a lot, but here's a thought, enjoy it while you can. One day, our quality surveyor felt, there's a problem on the conveyor belt. Aunt Louise, hey, will you please be careful when you weigh your smelt? Well, I know that you're, you're really involved with the uh, pickle, Pickleberry Pie 
uh, concert series two, and you do like an auction for that. I think every year. Well, we just had our first auction, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. We do hospital concerts for children. I, I'm a coordinator on the West Coast. Right. And also, I write at least one song, often two, songs per month for Songs of Love Foundation for hospital children. In fact, I'm working on right now for a little kid named Aria. She's three years old. I can't tell you anything more about her, but the songs turn out pretty good. And this song is is strongly based on a rhythm that she likes. She really likes this song, Baby Shark, which I had to go on the internet to listen to. Mm. But I kind of copped the simplicity of this rhythm and and did her little song with my son, Oliver, who's a very competent uh, songwriter, music producer, and singer, and musician. So I'm always writing something, Andy, Mm -hmm. for Songs of Love Foundation, for no pay whatsoever, for my clients who always pay me, I have too much fun. I have more fun than I guess I deserve, except I kind of nourished it by always doing my best, staying up all night for one syllable to make it better, just insisting on my absolute best on everything that I let go out of my studio. So I sort of brought on the good fortune myself, but a lot of it has been just luck. I don't know to whom to be grateful, but I'll just say I'm lucky. Mm. Well, in circling back, one of the things you mentioned earlier in this conversation was that the busier you are, the more productive you are. Yep. And so by having so many irons in the fire and actually constantly keeping those uh, creative muscles in tune, you know, mm-hmm. doing the workout and doing the work, it's just, e- I, I, I know it's easier to re-engage and, and get the juices flowing in that way. Well, we have just a little bit of time left. Uh, if you were going to talk to uh, f- uh, a mother of two living in, let's say, Oklahoma City, she loves singing. She loves writing music for children and families. She's got a little three-piece that she goes out and they play a couple times a week. They play churches and libraries and stuff like that. She really wants to transition to a professional songwriting uh, gig. Is it possible? And what are the two or three things that you'd say, well, this is probably where you should start? I understand the question. First thing is she's got to make sure that her children are okay. And she can't do anything or spend money that is going to disaffect her children. That's, that's the first thing I'd say, which isn't exactly an answer to your question. But So I'd make sure that I had enough money for the people who are depending on me, regardless of how I proceeded. Number two, I would make uh, a professional demo recording of my three best songs. I would study the trades online. Those are the magazines that the newspapers and magazines that go out to music professionals and other entertainment people. And I would make it a point to get the email addresses of some people who are movers and shakers in the music industry and in the television industry and and theater industry. And I would make sure that these persons had a chance to hear my three best songs. It's, it's extremely difficult to get the ear of one of those persons. It, it, would be, it would be smart to memorize or write down, and memor- write down the names of everyone who answers the phone. So anytime you called, you could actually ask for that person or say, oh, hi, Amelia. It's, it's a Sandy. And just develop relationships. And it might take years. The kids might be, you know, in their high school musical by the time it happens, but Eventually, if you're really great and you keep honing your craft and getting better and better and getting better demos, you have a shot 
and I emphasize have a shot because it's not a guarantee of success, but wishing and hoping isn't going to make it happen. Make an excellent recording of your three best songs uh, and make sure it gets in the hands of some persons who could possibly be influential in, in promoting you, you as a songwriter. That's my short answer. That's, that's as good as it could possibly be. And whoever be. wants to send, anyone who wants to send me anything can send it to Dave Kenoyne at songwizard.com. I'd be glad to listen to it. You may regret that. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I just love hearing a great song. Whether it's mine or someone else's, it's just a, it adds to the beauty and the, of the world and it helps us all you know, feel better and be better. Songwriting is just a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. And I'm just lucky, lucky, lucky to be able to keep doing it. Right on. Hey, Dave, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome, sir. And there we go. A super fun conversation with Dave Canoyne. His uh, recent project of Randy and Dave obviously is cool. They have a new CD coming out in 2020. He was able to share that with me, but not too much other details. And I'm just fascinated by the whole process. And I think it'd be so neat to be a writer on assignment and swimming in those circles and, and seeing the songs that you write go to be distributed in different formats for millions of people and now, I think it's really cool, and I have such an appreciation for the whole Henson family and for what they were able to uh, bring to my childhood. So anybody associated with that, I'm always like, oh my god, so cool. Obviously, I try not to fawn too much, but sometimes you just have to get all kind of star-eyed and say, dude, you're really cool. Thanks for being really cool. Okay, so that's the end of this episode of Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy. You want to be on the Barn Banter? You want to come on down to the barn, get some straw in your hair, chit-chat about what you know about the music industry? I would love to hear from you. Head over to the website, www.cowboyandy.com. You can catch all the old podcasts there on the Barn Banter tab. You can drop me a message. And of course, that's where you can also find all the links to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those things. Jump on those and drop me a note. And then we can talk. We can be friends. We can have coffee. Maybe we can write. What? What time already? Uh, already? All right. Fine. Goodbye. Goodbye. You know, one of these days I'm going to get a producer who's going to help me actually figure out how to make a better podcast. And then I won't be like sung off of my own podcast by the band every single week. I mean, seriously, I'm going to have to. Games, we all like to be hugged and loved, drive in our beds at night. Tall or small, boy or girl, brown, pink or black or white. Ho, 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 let's sing a song about how we're all the same. How we all like snacks and cuddles and we all like playing games. and cuddles and we all like playing games we all like to be hugged and loved tucked in our beds at night tall or small